Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. You know, the Bible contains so many wonderful verses, and here's one of them. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. How much is contained in this wonderful statement? First, there is one God. Now this seems like an odd statement when we consider all the religions in the world. How could this be? Well, from the beginning of human life on earth, man both knew about the one God and knew him personally. Thousands of other gods and religious ideas actually came along afterward. In fact, they're all man-made. The only true God has been forgotten. He is our creator, our judge, and our savior. And this remains true no matter what system of thought man has come up with. Secondly, this verse tells us about the one mediator, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? In today's broadcast, evangelist Mr. David Hurley High takes a good look at this one God and also at the one mediator that he has sent. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first couple of verses, Paul is writing by the Spirit of God. He is exhorting, he is encouraging Christians to pray for everybody, for kings and for everybody else under a king. And he said, I want you to pray for them. And not necessarily to get all caught up in political affairs, but pray for them and live a quiet and peaceable life. Now, why would he want Christians to live a quiet and peaceable life? Well, likely it is a reflection of the inner peace that a Christian has. So just so you know that at the outset, being a Christian is not just me saying I'm a Christian. Just taking the name does not make something the essence of the product. And so that being a Christian, taking the name, or joining a Christian church, or going through a ritual that is very definitely linked with being a believer, all of those things do not make me a Christian. There is something on the inside. There is a vital change. When a person becomes a Christian, they're not the same. It's more than a name. And one of the best things I think that go with being a Christian is this. Of course, being in heaven will be wonderful. But one of the best things today is this, that we can have inner peace, peace on the inside. Even when everything else is in a turmoil, I visited an uncle who died in July, and he lay there in a hospital bed. I was going away to a conference in June, and I went in to see him before I left, and he lay there in his bed, and he calmly told me, I asked him, how long, what are they saying? And he said, well, he was a soft-spoken man. He said, well, the doctor told me that if I eat, I'll probably last, I think it was six or seven weeks. But if I don't eat, maybe only be three weeks. He was good with that. No problems with him. How could he do that? How could he face death with complete peace, with cancer in his body, without bitterness? Because a long time ago, he trusted Christ as a seeker. And he became a real Christian. 
So Paul's speaking about real Christians, and he says, you should live a, a quiet and peaceable life reflecting that peace on the inside. Now let's read a verse number three. This is something that should mark a real Christian. To pray, and why? Verse three, he says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So we have read a number of verses, but just focus now on verse number five, because I would really like you to take this verse home with you. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified at the right time, in due time. It's a truth that is being assaulted in our world. But the Bible has much to say about one God. It is not because it is not written in the Bible that that has come into question. We come into our, the very first verse of our Bible and we understand something that is vital about this one God. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that fact in our world has been so assaulted by all kinds of professions, by education, all kinds of things. And fields have been assaulting that simple truth that there is one God. Now, why is that? Why is it that men like Richard Dawkins have so much venom and hatred against God? The man just bristles at the very mention of God. The man would look down upon people like us and they'd say, well, well you're uneducated. And he would mock us. Well, it's okay. Because I know who's going to come out in the end. Feel bad for him. And then when there's a man like someone else that he is talking with, who is, he cannot be mocked or belittled because he does have education and he does have extra brains. Well, he resorts to insults and all kinds of things. Why is that? What brings that out of people in our world? So-called atheists. Do you know why? Because mankind, more or less, if they choose not to believe in God, it becomes not so much a decision that is linked with science, but it's more of a moral decision. It is by and large a moral decision. There is something within us that the Bible says God has placed the hidden world or eternity in our very hearts, in our very consciences, so that we know inside there is a fear of meeting God, so that when there is an option that is presented, though Darwin himself never presented it as fact. He says, if evidence is not for it to prove my theory, it should be discarded. Yet it's alive and well today. And though the evidence is still not there. Supposed evidence, but not good evidence. The things that they say support that, they would never use in other fields. But I'm not here to insult science. Science is wonderful. Because of science, we have medicine, we have all kinds of wonderful things happen to us and developments and we all drive nice cars that work. Those are all scientific things. They, science aids those things. But by and large, people come to this fact of God, and it boils down to, do I want to accept the truth of God or not? Is it morally acceptable to me that there's a God? It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Because God is so great and so awesome and so big compared to all of us. But that's what it, by and large, boils down to. The Bible leaves no question, no doubt. It says there is one God. 
It just states it. Now, God could well come into this meeting tonight. He could well come into this world and begin to lay out the facts and prove through supernatural events that there is a God. And in fact, he does do that. All the awesome things that take place in creation, be they great and be they small, they all amaze us, they astound us, they prove the presence of God and the power of God. But tonight, can I just ask you the question? What others do has no bearing on what is in this meeting tonight and with you. Do you believe there's a God? Is it morally acceptable to you that there is a God? The reason people do not like the fact that there is a God and they will take another option if they can is because if there was no God, we could live as we wished. I mean, isn't that all what we all look forward to as kids? We just wish we didn't have parents because we could eat all the chocolate we wanted. We could eat all the, all the potato chips we wanted. We could eat chocolate cake for dinner and we could have it for breakfast and we could drink Coke or Pepsi or whatever it might be till it came out our ears and it really wouldn't matter because mom and dad were not there controlling things. We would never be accountable to them. You see, there's accountability when there are parents. And in a world where there is one God, there is accountability. Not so much Will you find yourself face to face with God, some kind of a massive steamroller type God that you will literally see with your eyes in life? But you will be faced with God in the Bible. The God of the Bible is the God that you will meet. And generally speaking, people don't want that because they know they can't live the way that God wants them to live. They know he has laws that they cannot keep. So that when we come into a gospel meeting, we are here not to scientifically prove that there is a God. But there are scientific reasons why we believe, but that's not really why I believe there's a God. I believe there's a God because the Bible says there's a God. And I have good reasons for believing the Bible. I can see God in many other ways and from many other places in this world. God can be seen. It is obvious when there's a God, you would wonder how anybody could ever have the faith to believe otherwise. So there is one God. What do we know about that God? First of all, Genesis 1 and 1, he created everything. That is, it didn't happen by chance. It happened by intelligence and ability to put the proper pieces together. And everything came together by the word of his power so that we have a world that works. A world that works. It takes more than energy. It takes design. It takes someone with intelligence to put it together. And that's the God that we know. There is one God who created everything. Genesis 1 and 1. But come, in, come to Psalm number 75. We'll learn something else about God. It says that God is the judge. God is the judge. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 31. Again, we learn that truth is supported. That God has actually appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a standard. This is the standard. What he has said here. He's not going to judge us by a standard that we do not know. That we have not been faced with. He will judge us by a standard that is revealed to us. Because God is a God who is righteous and who is fair. And God is the judge. God is the creator. God is the judge. But we learn something from this very chapter about God. You know what it says? God is the Savior. God, our Savior. There would not have been a world if God did not create it. There would be no judgment throne if God did not say that human beings are accountable for their actions, for their sins. God has placed that in the future. There's something that's coming up. But do you know that there would be no salvation if God had not devised a plan? If he had not come up with a means for us to be saved? 
there could be no salvation from hell, no salvation from our sins, no salvation from the way in which we live that is less than satisfactory, less than the way God created things in absolute perfection. There would be no brighter outlook. There would only be a going downward, a downgrading of our well-being, of our bodies, of everything. And we would be in a downward course as Satan's course is a downward course. From the heavens above, to the air, to the world, to the bottomless pit, and then brought up from there to be released for a time, and then eventually into the lake of fire forever. That's Satan's pathway. But this verse says that God is the Savior. God, our Savior. He is the one who has stepped into this scene to change the course, to alter the course of human history, to alter the course of your life. And have you had that life-altering moment when you have been saved by the salvation that God the Savior has designed? Are you coming your way? Coming by the way that someone you respect or know or some set of minds have got together and devised the means that you are coming by, supposedly. doesn't work. just simply doesn't work. The Bible is clear that there is one door of salvation. The Lord Jesus said, I am the one door. And here in this chapter, we find that God is the Savior. Now listen, you may well ask, why is there so many different religions then? Why is there something like, is it 6,000 religions in our world? How could that be? If there's one God, wouldn't he make it a little bit simpler? He did. He did. All those thousands of religion have come from people thinking there's more than one way. There wasn't originally so many thousand, but somewhere along the line, somebody designed one, and they thought that was pretty good. And then after a while, they figured, well, that's not working too well, so we'll design another one. And someone else says, well, I like to think differently, so they designed another one. And by and by, you've got thought ways and thought value systems and belief systems all everywhere in our world. Where did they come from? They came from the human mind. But do you know what this chapter tells us? There's one God, and he doesn't mean for us to sort through all of those religions. There's only one design for salvation. And that one God has just one desire for all of humanity. One strong, rich, burning desire for you as well as me. One that links all of us. God desires that we would be saved. That's what it is. Or are you saved? Have you come to grips with the one desire that God has? You know, it's not God's absolute will. When God wills, if, you know, I might say, well, I would love to have a cup of Tim Horton's coffee. I would love to have one. Strong desire. I get that in the morning. But that does not make it just suddenly come to my hand. But God has a will that is absolute. When he wants something to happen, he just has to command or think, and it comes. It happens. But that's not what he says here. This is a strong desire. And he has provided the means, but it rests on whether you want it, whether you agree with that desire of God. His desire is, his strong desire is that you would be saved. He's proved that. He has proved his tremendous, mighty ocean of love that he has for humanity by sending the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to become the substitute for you and I so that we could be saved. Can you question that God desires you to be saved? One who would send his only son to suffer for you? That one God has one desire that you would be saved. Now, be saved is, of course, in the passive, it means that someone outside of yourself has to help you to, to do it. Like if you were out in one of the Great Lakes and the little dory that you were in or the canoe overturned or the kayak or whatever it would be sunk and there you are and you didn't have your life jacket on and you're too far away and you can't swim very good and someone comes along and uh, they say, will you like some help? 
You say, well, no, I, I think I'll make it, or, or just, just kind of throw me a rope and tow me on in. You see, that's how people look at religion. It's just kind of something, they need a little assist, they need a little help. But God says it's not a matter of help. He says that you're in enough trouble. You need an outside force to do all of the work, to provide the means of salvation. You need to be saved. There is no hope otherwise. It's not a self-help program. It's God doing the saving through what the Lord Jesus did. But is there anything that helps us to know? Is there something that teaches us? How can we know this is right? Because he says to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. That's what helps us. Where would we find the truth? With so many people saying so much about this is right and that's right, where would we find the truth? I'm, I'm trying to make you think. Well, I'm confident that this is the truth. This amazing book. You could have a week's meetings on the book alone and you wouldn't get to the bottom of really, really what it's about. And this is the knowledge of the truth. But when he says come to the knowledge of the truth, he's not just saying an intellectual knowledge. It's something you must experience. It's full knowledge. You see, there are things that we know, and then there's things that we know by experience. I worked at a place where we rebuilt turboprop airplane engines. Worked there for a dozen years or so, and I was up here in Toronto on business. And, you know, for all the knowledge I had of that engine that we rebuilt, PW100 Pratt & Whitney engines, I could tell you how it went together, the principle of how it worked. I could have probably taken a large part of it apart and put it back together single-handedly. I knew quite a bit about it. But the day came coming back from Toronto when my flight got bumped and the... CRJ jet was not an option anymore. And now I was hopping along from airport to airport trying to get home for the weekend. And finally, I'm in Halifax late at night. There's just one flight left, and they says, you won't make it. Well, I said, I'm going to stay here anyway and just see. And sure enough, somebody didn't make it for their flight. And they said, get your bags quick. You're on. You're on. And I breathlessly ran on, and right at the back of that Dash 8, there's just one seat looking straight up that little narrow aisle. And I sat down, and I collected myself, breathing heavy, and you know what happened for the first time? All of the things I knew up here about a PW100 engine, suddenly I learned and knew by experience as I put my rest, my faith, my confidence in a plane powered by that engine. It was knowledge that now I, I knew on a deeper level because I had experienced it. And it carried me up over that little Northumberland Strait and down into, into Charlottetown Airport. And I was home for the weekend because I put my confidence in what I knew. Now, there are people here, and you've got quite a bit of knowledge about what the Lord Jesus did. In the verse that we read, that there is one God, you know but one God. And you know He is the Savior. He has designed one design for salvation, and that is one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to die on a cross, and that's how God can forgive your sins, because the Lord Jesus suffered the agonies of crucifixion and the agonies of being punished by God for what I deserved. He bore it all in the hours at Calvary, and there's nothing left to take. You could know all of that and end up in hell forever because it never came to a point in your life when you said, I need this thing. I need to be saved. I need to be delivered from my sins. I am helpless. I am lost. I am a sinner that's going down, and if God does not do something for me, I will be lost forever. And a soul like that often comes just to the point where they suddenly realize, well, that's why the Lord Jesus died. And it becomes knowledge that you trust in, something that becomes personal. Wouldn't it be wonderful tonight if you had a moment like that? The knowledge from the Bible that you rest upon, that gives you the confidence to say, my sins are gone. 
because Jesus died for me. He died for my sins. Because that's what the verse is saying. It says there's one God. You may know that. But there's only one reconciler, one that goes between you and God to bring you into the presence of God. Just one. One that bridges the gap. One that removes the difference. One that can take you by the hand, as it were, and lead you to God. Because he suffered what it cost to do that. I remember one time, it was about a 15-minute drive in the old vehicle. My next brother was five years older than me. We didn't always get along the best because he would like to kind of lord it over me a little bit, and I was a little bit younger, and I didn't like that. And I had my chance. It was supposed to be even turns, but it didn't always come to that because he was bigger. And he ended up on the front more than I did. But this one day, I got there first, and I had the front seat. And it was mine to keep. And he didn't like it. Here he was, five years older, sitting in the back, and that didn't go well. And he started to pick at his little brother, and pick at his little brother, and pick at his little brother. And you know... After a while, I couldn't take it anymore. And I stood up in that old seat, and I came around with my fist to get my brother, and I hit the mirror that was on the windshield, and I knocked it right off onto the seat. And that was serious business in my family to do something like that. And I didn't enjoy that front seat, I'll tell you that. Don't remember anything about the rest of the trip. All I remembered was this. When I get home, I have to meet Dad, and I'm in trouble. You know what happened when I get home? Somewhere along the line, that never came up. You know why? I think it was because I had a reconciler. Just one that went between. A mother who loved me and knew that I had a brother that was picking on me, and I think she went and she reconciled. And without me doing anything, the crime was gone. And I never experienced the punishment. That's what this verse is saying. One mediator between God and man. Yes, a mediator takes up the cause of both parties. He reconciles differences. He brings opposite parties together again, and that is what the Lord Jesus Christ is called in the Bible, a mediator. He has come to bring man back to God, and he did this by suffering for sin on the cross of Calvary. The work's been completed by another, and now we can go free. Have you ever stopped to receive this great gift of reconciliation that God so freely offers? Do so at once. The opportunity will not always be available. Remember, now is the accepted time, says the Bible, and now is the day of salvation. Trust Christ today. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. My name is John Sharp. 
and thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a savior. And in times like these, you need an anchor.